Welcome. This podcast is entitled Stages in the Critical Journey of Faith, as described in the book, The Critical Journey. The book is co-authored by Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick. And this podcast today is hosted by Janet Hagberg and Sarah Wilhelm Garbers. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I am so happy to be doing this podcast with you, Sarah, Um, a young millennial pastor friend of mine. And we not only share an interest in the inner life, but now we get to share our experiences and understanding of the journey of faith. So I'm really glad you're here. Welcome and hello. Thank you. Uh, Janet, I'm so glad to be here with you today and to get to have this conversation, uh, particularly about a book that for me, when I was early in my own journey at seminary, I was able to encounter and it was just such a gift. So I'm really glad we can have this conversation. Well, let's launch. Great. So let me give just a little background about the book before we launch into the stages. I feel so grateful as well to be able to have written this book with Bob Gulick who is a dear friend who is a pastor and also a seminary professor at Fuller Seminary. And I'm really glad we wrote the book when we did because he died suddenly just a few years later. And we wrote it before the concept of spiritual formation was widely embraced. And I can really sense that he is pleased to see how much more intentional people are now about their spiritual lives and about deepening their faith. So I'm happy that his wisdom lives on through this work that we did together. And so now a bit about the book, The Critical Journey. Um, It's a description. It's a description, not the description. (laughs) A description of six stages of faith and a wall that are part of the spiritual journey. It's not a book that tells you where you need to be or suggests that there is one place that's best. But it does illuminate places on the journey that many of you will find familiar. The experiences that I've had most from my readers is that the book gives them ho- gives hope, especially to people who didn't know that on this journey of faith, there's a very legitimate place that involves deep doubt and quite a bit of difficulty. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, in itself may be life-saving for some, as it was for me. Mm-hmm. So Sarah gets to list the stages and get us launched into this. Yeah, absolutely. And Jenna, I so appreciate you talking about this legitimizing the places where there's doubt and difficulty. And that for me was so important about being able to engage with this work and how it named just the different stages and that they were places I could identify my own self and my story. And so the six stages we'll be talking about today, the first is the recognition of God. Then we'll be talking about the life of discipleship, the productive life, the journey inward, and then the wall, <laughs> the wall. which is my favorite, actually, uh, which wel- which comes at the end of that journey inward. And then the journey outward and the life of love. So I'm excited to talk about those. I like to think of these six stages in the wall as places on the outer edge of the circle where God is at the center and in the midst of and holding all things and us, where we are equally known and seen and loved by God wherever we are. We all have these stages within us, within our circle, but very often we tend to be at one stage more than the others. This is what we might call our home stage. It's kind of the place where that might change over our life or not. Either way is okay. Can't say that enough. (laughs) 
This isn't just like, oh, get to six. This is a thing wherever you are, God is there and that is enough and you are loved. So that's a little bit about what we'll be talking about today. And sometimes we get to a place in one of these stages where we have lived and we feel a desire to move to a different stage or sometimes life propels us to a different stage that we may not have chosen really for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But the stages we move through are in the order that Sarah listed. So you, it's, you can't skip over a stage and that's important to know even though most people who ask me about them say they'd like to skip right over the wall <laughs> and be at stage five. <clears throat> so another sticky issue in the stages is that being around a person that is at two or more stages different from where you are is very difficult to comprehend on both sides. And often those people are like magnets to each other, like one person who is very clear, very sure about their faith and wants as many people as possible to embrace that, meets someone who is all doubt and all difficulty. And I don't know how they always get together, but they do, and that makes it (laughs) difficult for both sides. So I also want to remind us that the Spirit does most of the work of shifting us from one stage to another. And... So we need to trust in that and trust in that slow and steady work of God. So the essence of this critical journey is that on the whole journey, we are always discovering more about God and discovering more about ourselves. And God already knows all about us, of course. So this is like an adventure. And it can be crucial and it can be very difficult, but it still can be, hopefully, in the bigger picture, an adventure. And mm-hmm. it's to the center, the adventure to the center of who we are and to who God is. And along the way, I found that mostly we're asked to release anything that's in the way between mm-hmm. more intimacy uh, with God. So I'd like you all to come with Sarah and me as we <laughs> explore these six stages of faith in the wall. And what we'll do is cite the main characteristics of each stage. We'll tell a little story that illustrates it and share uh, at least one biblical example. We might, um, Sarah might sing a lyric, I won't, but I will (laughs) cite some lyrics. We'll see if we can get her to sing. And then we'll show how people can get stuck at each stage and Mm. also describe what it takes to move to the next stage. And then we'll share a reflection question for our listeners to ponder. I think that's about it, right? Yep, sounds good. All right, you launch. Great. So I will kick us off with stage one, which is the recognition of God, or faith is discovery of or that recognition of God. And so our traditions vary in the way that we talk about how you get in or how Mm -hmm. one becomes awake to faith and to their spiritual lives. But it's usually a decision to be part of a group of mostly like-minded people, whether that's a church or a recovery group or another kind of spiritual community. And so often at this stage, this shows up where there's just a sense of awe, like, oh, I didn't know this could be like this. It's this gift and beauty. There can be a real sense of need, uh, like a natural awareness, such as, you know, when one's in nature and you're just like, I cannot believe that this is where I am. Often this can look as well like desiring greater meaning in life or a sense of innocence for a person as you become alive to a new way of being in the world that you hadn't known before. You know, I think uh, for me, 
how this showed up, I know, just even in my own life, is the way that faith um, came to life for me when I had read John 3.16 when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going home crying to my mom and saying, Mommy, Mommy, Jesus loves me. And for me, that sense of being loved by whatever this God was mm-hmm. meant everything. And it, for me, became the, sen- the space for life and meaning, and it held me in so many profound and powerful ways. And so that's kind of, it can look different in all of our lives, but it's so often that experience of being found or being seen or like burdens lift, I'm, I can breathe. And we're in this new space of life. You know, a biblical example of this, it's kind of a classic one, but it's the one that I first thought of is just Paul. When he's on this road and he gets encountered by God through this light, and suddenly the world changes. He sees everything illuminated in a way that he hadn't before. And that's his own kind of awakening that begins a, a living into a new way of doing life that he hadn't known in that particular way up until that point. So I think he's a really great example mm-hmm. of that kind of an encounter. Okay, so Janet, you kind of alluded to this <laughs> a little bit. Um, uh, spoiler alert, I'm a little bit of a pop uh, nerd, love mm-hmm. pop music. And so when we were thinking about songs to come up with for these, I thought I would just own that. And I'm going to share with you a few songs throughout our conversation today that are ones that connected for me. You know, when we were talking about the stage one and the recognition of God, the very first song that came to mind for me was a Katy Perry song called Wide Awake. And I love this song because literally the lyrics are, I'm wide awake. Yes, I was in the dark. I was falling hard. I won't sing yet. I'll wait till another one. <laughs> With an open heart, I'm wide awake. And I think that song so beautifully captures that like moment of awakening and the world, just like light and goodness is yours and you know it. Um, so I just, I love that song. I think it's a great example mm-hmm. of that. And um, yeah, so in this stage, Uh, As we have this awakening and the recognition of God, sometimes um, there can be a sense of getting stuck at this stage when we notice we're feeling worthless or kind of spiritual bankruptcy or just kind of like I have nothing left now, that initial feeling I can't really get back. Uh, Maybe I begin in that space then to feel like I'm a martyr. You know, I've, I've shown up, I'm giving everything and like no one understands me. Um, or in a type of ignorance. And, you know, this can happen for any of us, and we'll talk about this at each stage, where we can get stuck. And I think that is an example of seeing how, you know, when you come to this place where you did have this original awakening, but it's like, I've been giving to the community, I, I'm here, I'm, I'm loving you, God, but I, I don't know where you are right now. I'm not feeling it in the same way that I felt that first joy. Um, and that can be some of those moments when you begin to notice like, hey, what I like to think of is maybe God's spirit's inviting <laughs> something in me. Um, but I would just like to say like, I hear you and I have absolutely been there uh, and you're not alone. So as we're living in the midst of stage one and continuing to just pay attention to how God's spirit might be inviting. 
some of the ways that we continue to move into the next stage, you know, one of those is becoming a part of a strong group where that community and getting involved with that um, can just be such an important way of growth and deepening and healing um, where you know you're not alone and they can hold you in the midst of your own experiences of faith and, and God's presence. Another way is by letting life take on more significance and you, you have this experience in beginning to explore ways that this actually connects with more and more of the whole of your life. And sometimes it can be really helpful at this point to find and or you'll be gravitated towards a, a leader who can mentor you, who can help to name language for this stuff. You're like, I don't even know what all of this is about uh, and really can help you in that way to discover the way that you can belong how can I be part of, of this community? And so not only is there these kind of outer ways of being that invite us more deeply in, but also the inner movement that happens within us, which I think of as kind of the, again, God's spirit bubbling mm -hmm. up within us, mm -hmm. is what it looks like as we not only have this awakening, but we begin to accept our self-worth and reduce our isolation so as we're at this stage, just want to leave you with a couple questions and thoughts here. The one is a question about for you, how and when did you first recognize God in your life? Put some language to that. Remember what that felt like in your body. Was it from awe? Was there a need were you broken open? What did that look like? And then another question that you could sit with is, how do you experience God at this stage in your life now? So that's a little bit about the recognition of God in stage one. Things to ponder for <laughs> sure. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. So stage two is the life of discipleship. And at this stage, faith is primarily learning about God. And in most traditions, this learning about is how you become accepted and part of a group. And you mentioned belonging, finding mm -hmm. a place where you belong. This stage is really about belonging. This is about community. It's about meaning from being part of a group that you really feel you are part of. And usually you find some answers there because the leader that's there can give you the answers you're learning you like you said you don't know anything about the language so whatever the community is you're part of or the belief system or the cause you learn from the, the leaders people that have gone before you and because you are all usually somewhat similar there is the sense that there's a rightness about where you are that you're safe you're secure you know you're learning what to believe and you belong and so there's a security there as well and it feels um, like, in a word, I just say community. It just feels like I found the place that I fit. Mm. And that can change for people over their lives, of course. But at the first time you're in, in this stage, it's like a big, deep breath. Someone mm. will say, I'm home. I've come yeah. home. Like, whew, now I can relax a little bit more. Mm. And actually, it's one of my favorite stages um, because I really need community. I need to have a, some, a place or some places where I feel that I'm at home and that I'm accepted and that I don't have to 
work hard for that and where the community cares for me but also where I can care for the community that uh, that has always been important to me and when I don't have it I really miss it and you mentioned at stage one not letting yourself be too isolated so at stage two is where we really move away from isolation to a belonging and I just have read a book recently by a, an MD who said that loneliness and isolation is more closely connected to illness than smoking. Wow. And the wow. name of the book is Mind Over Medicine. I was just I was just floored by that. The isolation is so um, bifurcating to the psyche, you know, that you don't have these connections. And the stage allows you to have those connections. And so the way we have community is multiple things, but meetings, celebrations, sacraments, gathering times, um, even weddings, funerals, confirmations, all those are places where we bring the community together and we know we belong. It can be picnics, ball games, whatever, you know. But it's that these people know our story. They've been there with us, and we know their stories. And that's all. That goes very deep in our roots and is a very important part. So for me, most of my childhood was a- at this stage, and it was me being steeped in scripture, steeped in campfires, Sunday school, and junior and senior high league, and choir, and playing piano for the choir, <laughs> and all of that. And being steeped in scripture, one of the things I remember is that I learned to say all the books of the Bible in less than 30 seconds. So I'll only give you a few. Genesis, Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. And I won't go any further than that. <laughs> but you can see how this got to be a popular kind of place where we all learn together and play together. Basically, I loved it, I embraced it, and it kept me feeling really secure. I felt really a part of it. And for each community, different things are what help you feel a part of it. So let's just mention a couple things about, because I know people listening to this have come from different kinds of communities. Mm. So, like, can you think of a couple of things that people that would be more leaning to the left might consider really integral part of their community? Uh, yeah, like advocate advocating for social justice. Mm-hmm. And so that might look like you as a community are showing up at a protest mm-hmm. or um, something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe doing intentional work as a community around becoming like uh, conscious about racial reconciliation and doing deep work around that. We're going to do that together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about like on the more right leaning? more like evangelizing, going out and doing mission trips to evangelize people because you want to share your faith Mm -hmm. and having personal relationships with God and talking about that, learning how to speak Mm -hmm. that that, um, story to other people. Absolutely. Are there any other things that come to mind for you? I mean, for that? I think of like Bible studies yeah. and mm-hmm. small groups where mm-hmm. you're gathered together around scripture and text mm-hmm. to be able to wrestle with one another and mm-hmm. about that and learn. Mm-hmm. And learn. Well, a couple of biblical examples of this stage would be one is the disciples, both the men and women disciples who learned and traveled with Jesus and walked and talked with him, learned from his what he did, learned from his words and just um, imbibed his his whole value system. And they certainly spoke that out, and we learned from them. And then on the 
earlier in the Bible, Miriam and the women who celebrated, who led the celebration after the Israelites came through the Red Sea. And they all had their instruments and they led the, they led the celebration. And I particularly loved reading about them and about Miriam leading them. And so I invited several of those, of those women to tell me which instruments they played as part of the celebration. And so I put them in the Red Sea Band. And I made a series of sacred icons about them. And I had so much fun because they, they told me why they chose the instruments that they selected. That's cool. That was really fun. <clears throat> so a couple of hymns or pop songs that express this stage for me. One is one of the great hymns of the faith, and that is, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Mm. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. You know, never changing, always secure and sure, and being faithful, being able to count on that that rock image of God. I just, um, sometimes when I'm feeling weak or something, I just go back to that hymn and read it over. Mm. And then there was a song that was around when I was... Um, in my teenage years, and I know it's been sung by at least 10 other musicians over the years, but it was You Belong to Me. And some versions of it are very clingy and romantic, and some are very sincere, so it takes on different nuances. But basically, you belong, and you belong to me. So that was, that was kind of cool to see, to hear. And then getting stuck at this stage, well, as much as we feel really right about the community we're in, and we feel secure and safe there, we can also get kind of rigid in that righteousness. Mm -hmm. And then we can kind of get to the point where we see that our way may be the only way to be righteous mm -hmm. or the only right way to be righteous. Mm -hmm. And that can become a difficult thing when we pit ourselves against others or especially all others. And that mm -hmm. that is an indication of being stuck. I don't so. do that. <laughs> right. Oh, good. <laughs> no, right. That's what's great yeah, is this right. can help you reflect right. and be right. like, oh, yeah. How I, we do it. I think that might have happened before. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, and then when I was a child, we, we used this term mixed marriage. Hmm. But for in my church, where we were kind of rigid in righteousness, it wasn't about racial marriage. It was about Catholics marrying mm. Protestants. And we were yeah. Protestant. And boy, that would have been... Mm. You know, because they and we. So, you know, those are some of the things we get stuck in. And then searchers and switchers, where we where we have an event happen at a church or in a community that we don't like, and so we leave. We go find another place where they'll answer our needs, and then that place doesn't work. Another thing came up that we didn't like or that something happened. And so we keep searching for a place that will be exactly the way we want it. And, of course, that's not entirely possible so mm. that can be a stuck place and for my own story I like the stage because I do think we all need community and my kind of community has really changed for me over the years from a very insular community to being pushed into a broader kind of community and a turning point for me was when my life brought me in contact with people that I would have judged mm. and would have been really to be honest afraid of and yet, mysteriously, they became a part of my life. So a kind of a world, um, world. what would I say? He was a worldly wise man, came into my suburban church one time and invited several of us to go to prison with him to do some poetry reading. And uh, I had a nightmare about going to prison before I went. Oh. Um, and so when I got there, I was afraid, and I was especially afraid of, it was a men's prison, so I asked him if we could go, if it was a possibility to go to a women's prison, and we did. And 
I've never been the same since. Uh, we went there and started reading poetry and started meeting the women. And then I was part of a um, weekend love experience, a four-day love experience with the women. And the first day there, I met a woman who had the same name that I did, my maiden name, first, mm. middle, and last. She was drop-dead gorgeous, young, I mean, vibrant, and I thought, okay, something's going on here that I need mm-hmm. to be aware of. I tur- it turned out that I became her spiritual director for eight years, so I met with her twice a month for eight years. And I lear- I've learned so much from women in prison. Their faith, in many cases, was stronger than mine because they'd been through more than I'd been through, and they trusted God more. They had a wonderful sense of generosity that I've not seen in the same level elsewhere, and candor. Mm-hmm. Not always sheer honesty, but candor, which I found really refreshing. And the community became stronger because of the incarceration principle. So we knew we were an, we were an important part of their extension of their, uh, of their lives. Now, it was very messy at times, mm-hmm. as prison can be very messy. But the community remained fairly consistent and strong for many years and provided a lot of report of support for the insiders and for the people that were, were there to um, be part of their lives. And that was a big surprise for me, especially because of my nightmares of women tattooed. Before mm-hmm. tattoos were popular, this were, you know, women were tattooed all over, and I was just afraid. And then as I got in touch, partly by being with women in prison, but other things too, got in touch with some of my own margins in my own life of being on my own margins of pain and shame, I got more comfortable with other people that were on the margins. And so I realized that maybe we have more in common than I thought, and of course we do. So now I would say my community of faith is neither left or right or middle. I don't think of it as much theologically as I do, um, that it has to include some people that are on the margins. And the margins, of course, we name in a lot of different ways now, different cultures, mental illness, abused, gay, homeless, old, disabled, whatever. And I'm probably two or three of those myself. So as I've gotten more in touch with that, I invite more of the margins to be part of who I am because mm-hmm. I, I'm more at home there. And I also have a deep desire to be with people who sincerely seek intimacy with God, wherever that, uh, that comes from. And that um, I find that we have a lot more in common, no matter what our backgrounds have been, when we're all searching for a deeper intimacy with God. Mm. So, so now, moving to the next stage, um, one of the ways that you can see yourself moving is asking the question, how do I personally matter in this journey of faith and with these people And how can I be more productive for and with God? What do I genuinely have to offer that are my skills and my gifts? So recognizing your uniqueness, that you're not like everyone else. And then identifying and offering your gifts. What are you good at? How can you capitalize on that? What are you competent at? And then recognizing that you not only have a contribution to make, but that you want to make a a contribution and seeking some responsibility in some way to do that. And of course, the challenge of that is that you probably have to take a risk, and taking risks is not easy. And in the baseball world, we'd say you have to step up to the plate, mm-hmm. and that's not easy either because then you're, you know, you're there taking responsibility mm-hmm. and accepting your gifts. So, a couple of questions that our listeners can ask at this point to 
kind of talk, help them see or feel how they've been part of stage two is when have you felt part of a faith or spiritual community, really a part of it? And then what was most nourishing for you about that community? And how has that changed, if any, in it? How has that changed over time, if it's changed at all? So those are things to ponder. Thanks, Janet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, stage three then is about the productive life. And this is the space where faith is working for God. In most traditions, this is the height of excellence and competence of success. It's like, okay, like got awakened to this new thing, like beginning to discover my role in community. I've been following my mentors and leaders. Now I am ready to be that person. Like I'm, I'm doing the thing. And this is often highly rewar- rewarded. And when it's lost, um, there can be really deep loss. In this space in stage three, There's a sense of beginning to discover your uniqueness and community and what you bring to it. It's the moment you realize, oh, I love uh, actually greeting people at the door instead of doing announcements from the front. Not that that ever happened for me. But that's where you begin to realize the uniqueness and what you're really passionate about and how you can contribute. You take up the responsibility, like you were talking about, Janet, where you, you move from that space of really being just dominantly on the receiving end of I want to take in what the mentors are telling me I want to read scripture I want to grow to now I'm going to take up actually being a leader in my community and inviting others on the pathway that I have myself known and found a lot of life and meaning in so you take up that responsibility and in this stage there can be a lot of value placed on symbols um, the symbols of our faith uh, the way that that intersects with our communities and um, there's also a sense like a spiritual goal is reached in this stage. Like, all right, like I'm in, this is my community, I'm doing my thing. Um, you know, honestly, I feel the pull of this stage so strongly <laughs> in my life. I think part of it's my own family of origin and the way that I've shown up in the world, um, which is the I can do this, I'll do more. Yep, 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 I can do that. And it's also, frankly, a real call of being a pastor is the sense of uh, showing up, taking care of, taking that responsibility, being asked to be that space for and with others. And so it's also something that I pay attention to a lot in my life uh, so that that doesn't just then burn me out because that's something that can happen in this stage too, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. a little bit more in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um but that is um, very, very true. You know, so when I, when I was thinking about this and reflecting on the stage, the first biblical story that came to mind for me uh, was the story of Mary and Martha. And as the story is told in Luke, you know, Jesus shows up and Mary's like, hey, Rabbi, I'm going to sit at your feet and chill and learn um, from you and just be with you, right? <laughs> I can feel my own like, do something, Mary, <laughs> coming up in me, right? <laughs> Um, and, and Martha is like taking care of the stuff. Cause like people got to eat and you know, things like the house is messy or something. I don't really know. That's just what I would think. So, um, you know, Jesus says, Martha, like you're worried about all this stuff. Um, Mary's like, Mary knows what's going on here. Like, come on, just come and sit. It's okay. Is how I imagine the Greek should actually be translated. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, so much of the story is that there's a sense of I'm getting, you know, meaning and that's important work. Uh, But there's also an invitation of like, where's the time for work? And is that my identity? Is that like the most meaningful thing? Um, And that remembrance of Jesus's voice saying, you can work, but remember, like sitting at my feet is is important. And I think for me that that story was also kind of connected to uh, some of the places where we get stuck. Uh, And, you know, that's where you can be overly zealous uh, or like you end up because you're doing so much work, you get exhausted. You're just weary. I mean, we're all humans. Mm. Like, uh, I remember one time my mom said to me, Sarah, you know Jesus rested too. (laughs) Oh, that's a great line. (laughs) Yeah, I think she then followed up by, you don't think you're better than Jesus, do you? Mm. And I was like, ah, don't talk to me. Um, So, But you can get exhausted and you're taking on maybe more than is your work to do. And in that, you actually can become self-centered or think that you're the savior of the community or it's your responsibility to take, you're becoming overly responsible now. Um, and life can become about performance that it, I don't even really know where I'm at if, I, if I'm not working, if I'm not being productive in the community. And so I think when I was thinking about that, uh, the first song that came to mind for me with this was uh, by Rihanna. And these are literally the lyrics. It, it goes, work, 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 work. You see me, Abby, work, 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 work. You see me do the dirt, 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 dirt. There's something about the work, 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 work. That's like literally the lyrics of the whole song. Um, and so, you know, that might be a good song for thinking about the productive life. It's also a great song to do spin class to. So if you need a new song for your playlist, Rihanna's work can help you think about your spiritual life. I'm just saying not everyone thinks about these connections. So you're welcome. Um, so that song, I think, is just a great way of thinking about what can be present for us as we're in this stage. You know, and some of the symptoms of kind of, I think, God's movement in our lives when we're moving to the next stage um, is that there can begin to be for us a loss of certainty. Like, I knew who I was. I knew what I was supposed to be doing. I knew what the community was about. And now I'm not so sure. Is the community still doing good work? Am I doing good work? Those questions can begin to pop up for us. And some of this might be um, from an experience where we had a faith or personal crisis, and maybe the ways of being or the answers we had before don't work for us in the same way. Maybe you're finding yourself feeling abandoned or looking for direction. You know, I think for me, um, back when I was in seminary, this, like, this stage is my jam. <laughs> like, I can do this stage really well, and I really like it a lot. Um, but there were some of these questions for me that were sitting there that I didn't know how to care for or what to do with. And I remember talking to one of my mentors and, and I just said to him, like, but if people know who I really am or what I really think, then they're not going to love me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like so much of my, what I brought was what I could do for the community and how I could lead. And he said, Sarah, but if they don't know who you really are, how can they love you anyway? Oh, that's a powerful statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And terrifying. And terrifying. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. Usually my God moments are when I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> that's usually when I end up saying, okay, I will sit with that question. 
Um, you know, so some of the challenges in this is as that inner work is, you know, happening and bubbling up, is it actually can be a needing to let go of success or some of those external validations that give you worth when you're saying, I, I can't keep going this way. And that then, of course, invites my favorite thing, which is vulnerability, <laughs> right? Like, okay, what if I step back and I'm no longer important in the community? That might happen. And what does it mean to actually accept that vulnerability and trust God's love? And kind of how we started that saying, right, God's love and spirit holds us wherever we're at in that. And can we trust that God will show up in that space? And so, um, yeah, this is stage three, the productive life. And as we're in this space, you know, one of the questions I would invite folks to consider and sit with a little bit is just which of your talents or your gifts do you feel good about and do you know what that is and are you willing to share well sarah that move from stage three to stage four is kind of dicey sometimes Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it can be a precipitous change or a slow erosion as well but i think it might be helpful to talk a little bit about that because that's a time when a lot of people Mm. notice how afraid they are And it's that move from that successful, sure, confident, gifted stage to that what we call the doubting, insecure stage, Mm -hmm. the journey inward. And we'll talk more about that when we get there. But in stages one through three, we're growing, stretching, challenging, expanding, getting to know our community. And then it just feels like something changes. And it's almost like the movie changes, the script changes or something. And we're in more like a downward spiral inward Difficult, unfamiliar, doubting, not something we learned from our classes. And like there's no, doesn't seem like there are mentors there and it's, it's harder. So it seems to move from self-confidence with God to wrestling with God and maybe from winning to losing even, you know. And I think men in leadership in the church in the, you know, past and some of the present as well seem to find this, take this at feel it more strongly than women do because it's such a precipitous fall from what they um, had experienced or hoped and because they have more powerful roles many times in the society or in the church. So what happens to precipitate and illuminate that change? And as I said, sometimes it comes on slowly like soil erosion and you just feel abandoned or dry or parched or neglected or some of the things you said in the... um, in your part. At other times, it comes as a crisis that you didn't see coming, or you kind of saw it coming and dreaded, dreaded it coming, like, I can't do this anymore. So it may be happening to you directly, or it come, could from, come from something that happened outside of you that really affects you, but that you don't have any control over. However it comes, it propels you into the next stage, this journey inward. But what you do about it, not that it's happened, but what you do about what happened to you determines whether you go through the next, through the stage into the wall and into um, more healing. So let's give a couple of examples uh, from people that we know that have had one of these precipitous changes um, from stage three to stage four. So my sister-in-law was in a spiritual community, and it was very important to her but it was imploding. Mm-hmm. And she had followed this beloved leader that she was part of for years and was a very solid part of the community. In fact, 
I'd say, part of the larger core. She'd even travel far distances to hear this leader teach. And then the news came out that this leader had seriously misused much of the funds that had been raised for the use of the community. And it was like overnight this information made practically the whole organization fall apart. And my sister-in-law lost her grounding, she lost her community, and she lost her faith. And it took her years to repair the damage because, of course, the spiritual component of it made it affect her soul as well. So she moved from strength to doubt and disillusionment from a safe place to like a scandalous place in a matter of days. And it was so difficult to watch that because, of course, there was nothing that we could do about it for her. We couldn't rescue her from that. Yeah. Very hard place. And thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just like feeling the oomph of Mm -hmm. like the weightiness of what these kind of spaces bring up in our lives and the realness of them. Um, For me, one of the moments when this was so true in my own story was you know, as I had shared earlier, for me, this whole idea that God was love and that God loved me and God loved everyone was just fundamental for me as a kid and as I was growing up. And I mean, I was totally the kid who literally I'm over at my friend's house and I'm saying they're in a fight, they're sisters, and they're like, I hate you. And I'm crying because I'm like, Jesus loves everybody and you should love each other because Jesus, blah, 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 you know. And I mean it, like it's real for me, right? And that had been my my life and really important for me. And then I was on a mission trip uh, when I was 17. It was the summer right before I was going to college. And I, uh, we had been in the city square and our group was dominantly young, white, Scandinavian-ish women, young women. And we were in the middle of America's Cup, uh, so there's a ton of folks there. And our leaders told us we couldn't go out in the city square without a guy with us. Now, the guys in our group, I could have, like, beaten up myself, and I wasn't a very large person. Um, And I just, I was so mad because it felt so unjust that, like, I had to be afraid because I had a female body. And I have no idea how this conversation transitioned to what it did, but somehow I'm suddenly with one of my best friends and she says, well, Sarah, you know that it says in the Bible, wives submit to your husbands. And I said, well, screw that. <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, but Sarah, that's like in the Bible. Now, I had actually grown up in a community of faith where that actually was the belief that women were supposed to submit to men. But I think somehow I had um, co- like conveniently ignored that that was like real. Uh, and in many ways, I think by being the Jesus girl, had been able to skirt around the way gender functioned in my community. But I'm like 17 and I am kind of not able anymore to not be becoming a woman. And I am from a family where domestic violence has been part of our story And I'm sitting there and I say to my friend, like, no, this can't be right. Like, are you telling me that if I marry some guy, like, hopefully he doesn't beat me up? And she's like, Sarah, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it says, wives submit to your husbands. And I start freaking out. And everyone around me is like, Sarah, why are you so upset about this? And I'm like, do you not understand? I have spent my entire life telling people that God loved them 
that's like everything about my life. But if God thinks that literally half of the population just should hopefully marry someone who's not abusive and otherwise, oh, oh well, I was like, that is not love. Then that God is sadistic. Love and abuse can't go together. And my youth pastor's like, Sarah, I don't get why you're so upset about this. And I'm walking up the hill on this mission trip the next day. And I literally just fall on my face and I start weeping. And I'm like, God, I believe that you are love, but I don't know what to do with this. So that was for me the like huge crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. And for me at the time, I actually, I didn't know what to do with it. And it was too painful to touch. So I actually, you know, what we'll talk about is kind of what happens when you encounter those moments. For me... It just put screeching halts on everything. And I really froze and tried to figure out, which we'll talk a little bit about more about that, mm-hmm. but I tried to really figure out um, how to avoid kind of the, the inward journey in the <laughs> wall that was like so large that I just was like, nope, well, let's have a party instead mm-hmm. and do something fun because this is awful. So, yeah. Well, we're going to move now gently <laughs> to stage four, yeah. which is the journey inward, yeah. where faith is, as we can now see, rediscovering God. Once you have those doubts, difficulties, then this stage is about coming to find a deeper understanding, but it doesn't happen. The answers are not there. The answers are not at the door of the stage, for sure. Hmm. And so for many traditions where being sure and being confident is what gets you belonging and a leader, this stage is kind of a fall, hmm. a doubting place where you're not as committed as you were, where you can't be as quite as good a leader because then you're going to be, as we would say, kind of taking other people down the wrong road. And it's a really unsettling time, very unsettling. And as I said, the answers are not there. The questions are there for sure. And yet at the same time, you, it's little seeds of growth are being planted. So it's not like it's all over, but it feels like it's undone. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, there's a difference there, but it's, it's not all over, but you wonder whether it is at that place. And I think of it as like being in a cave where there's very little light, but you can feel that there's a, like an air, air force going through the cave, an air stream, so you know it, there's an outlet somewhere that's not a dead, dead place. But it's more that the invitation might still be there, but it's a very difficult place to be. And it's a little different. People think of it maybe as feeling like depression. And the difference would be that depression feels hopeless and stage four in the wall feel hard, but not hopeless, totally hopeless. So I don't, that could be a whole po- podcast in itself. But So this is uh, a loss or a faith crisis. Could be a loss in your life. It could be loss of any kind of certainty that you counted on, like a job or a, a certain leader. Sometimes it's a, what happens to a leader, as, as with my sister-in-law's case. It didn't happen to her directly, but it really affected her. So betrayal or doubt. And it's, a lot, it's pursuing personal integrity in relation to God because God changes from three to four in your mind. The same God that you were really part of and really close to at stage three 
doesn't feel the same at stage four. There's some change, some healing, some conversation, maybe some argumentation. Uh, my spiritual director suggested that I fire the God that I had known earlier mm. in my life. And I said, what? But she explained what that meant. And sure enough, I, I did need to do that. And that sometimes, in my case, I had to release God from the box that God had come in for me, all ni nicely wrapped, and it didn't fit anymore. And then I felt like I was there was something wrong with me, and that's how we often feel at this stage. But that's part of the stage and part of what we need to go through when we're when we're in that stage. So it's not really the stage is not about finding the right faith or thinking that one type of faith is the goal but about your own journey with wherever your faith is and then rediscovering God and finding more closeness with God, ironically, in your pain, mm -hmm. not after the pain is over, not before the pain, but during the pain. Mm -hmm. And that is challenging. It helps to have people with you that have been there so that they can carry some of the hope with them that you will be able to get through this. That's that's very helpful. And sometimes you even have to leave for a while, the groups, the church or the community or whatever that you were with because it's too painful to be there because of all the reminders or all the people that want you to be something other than what you are now. So some people find small groups, they find alternative groups, they find recovery groups, they find other ways to be accepted in this time of chaos and uncertainty. Hmm. And we really need to heal. So um, whatever communities are available to help us heal, those are the ones that we need to do because we have to let go of a lot of the baggage that we brought to this stage. And so I'll cite a couple of examples um, of this stage from different parts of my life, <clears throat> of moving into this stage. The first one was when I was in my 20s when I really think I lost my innocence probably for the first time in what seems like pretty harsh ways. First, I was, as you were, asking questions of my childhood faith, things that didn't fit anymore for me, and I really didn't have a place to go with my questions. And then my mother died when I was 22, mm -hmm. newly married, just when I needed her most. And there were no answers to that either, and people weren't able to give me answers except, you know, it's just a mystery or something like that. Well, at that age, that, that wasn't enough for me. <clears throat> and then... That all shook my faith in God, and I, and I left the church that I had uh, grown up in. And also during that time, I was working in a social service agency, and one of my bosses asked me to have an affair with him, and another of my bosses um, sexually assaulted me. Mm -hmm. And that was a really rude awakening into the life of um, the larger community that I was not familiar with, and I felt betrayed, and I felt like my job was on the line. My husband was um, unemployed at the time, mm -hmm. and so I just didn't, I didn't even feel like I could leave my job, and sexual harassment wasn't even in the dictionary at that point. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like today, and I felt like um, everything was, I was being abandoned, and then the next thing that happened was my wonderful marriage that was made in heaven dissolved after 10 years, wow. and this was not the life I had been promised when I was a good Christian girl. Mm. If I did the right things, then everything would work out all right, and especially in marriages. So I had to lean into that 10-year period of doubt and searching big time. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I had a lot of people that helped me along the way, mm -hmm. and I'm eternally grateful for them. 
And eventually it brought me to a more vital search for a life of faith that did, did fit better with who I was and who God was for me. And during that time, I remember going to a workshop on body image and faith mm. <laughs> after I had been assaulted. It was a really interesting time. They asked us to remember the messages that we got about our bodies as teenagers and then currently. And they drew a line down a large sheet of paper, and on one side they wrote negative, on the other side positive. And we were brainstorming all the words we could remember from our faith experience that taught us about our bodies. So the whole negative side of the paper was chock full of words. We all had the words, and I won't repeat them, but we all had the words. We had even the verses from Scripture. And on the right Mm. side, we had two words on the positive side, and one was temple. Your body is a temple. And, of course, after looking at the negative side, we all kind of chuckled with how could our body be a temple after all that. So it was just really clear even visually that the body messages were really negative. And I left actually sick to my stomach. I, mm. I, I felt like throwing up. And such is the place that I inhabited in this journey inward from what I thought I was supposed to be and what I thought was supposed to happen to this doubt, fear, dread, curiosity, loss, insecurity. But at that time, instead of going forward and facing into all of that, which was too hard for me at that age, um, I went back to stage three. Mm-hmm. And I became more productive. I found new ways to work for God. And I did it primarily to keep the wolves at bay. Mm -hmm. And it worked for many years. (laughs) And then a second time in the stage, years later, this was another time I entered the stage. It It was deeper and it was more troubling because now I found out that not only had I had abusive relationships, but I had a history of abuse. I couldn't ignore any longer that that had started at my home and it had occurred in many areas of my life in a repeating pattern. So it was time that I had to go deeper and come to terms with those old bosses and with my current relationships and even with the church and with God. And I needed to heal those deeper, deeper patterns. So I had to find a new comfort with God. I needed to go back. I needed to do some rituals around my wounding. And I did that with a pastor friend of mine. And I talk about that a lot more in the in the podcast on uh, a dialogue with the wall. So I won't go into a lot of that now. But it was an invitation to embrace the wall. And at that point in my life, because I saw overwhelming evidence that I needed to embrace this, and I had spiritual direction help, I had therapy help, so I had more resources around me, I was willing to do it. And now I'm eternally grateful that I was, but it's a very hard place to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Janet. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I think um, the story I had shared earlier about what happened for me in that initial crisis of faith at 17, uh, like you were even just sharing, is I, I mean, I worked overtime to get back my life and get back faith and really, uh, really was super productive. Like my freshman year of college, I would sleep maybe three hours a night because I knew everyone on campus right and everyone was going to know that Jesus loved them and bigger than life and everything (laughs) except for like I actually now hate myself Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I can trust this God anymore and that kept sitting there and I was really trying to like there's no problem there's no problem and at the age of 24 then I started seminary and what I often say to people is I actually went to seminary to decide if God got to live or if I did. 
because I couldn't do it anymore the way I had been doing it. And I knew that. And so uh, for me, you were talking about that wrestling, that image of Jacob wrestling with God is absolutely my image. And it was profound for me because my name is Sarah. Mm -hmm. And the transliteration of the Hebrew word there for wrestling with God, I like saw it in English and as I was writing a paper about this and it was Sarah. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I knew what my name meant and was supposed to be about. And, you know, it gave me such freedom to actually be like, okay, God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Like, I'm not letting go until I hear from you. And that began a journey for me in seminary of actually being encountered by and encountering God and myself anew. And um, kind of walking into the dark and into the terror. And this is actually literally my first fall of seminary is when I read A Critical Journey. And I'm reading about stage four mm. and then the wall. And I'm like, <gasps> I just knew God was like, Sarah, I'm with you. Mm. And that was such a gift for me. Yeah. So, you know, I just I think of this this stage and kind of what what bubbles up and the invitations here and just thinking about you know Mary Magdalene when she's at the tomb and she thinks Jesus is the gardener um and <laughs> you know she thought he'd been taken away because it didn't even occur to her that he could be alive and this is you know just that space where like you're you've been in one paradigm and could the world even possibly look different and yet it is <laughs> and suddenly you're being encountered anew by mm by God and by God's love, you know, or how Doubting Thomas, the classic story where God shows up, like showed up and said, you know, Jesus said you can put your fingers in and, um, and it's, you know, the story that so often it's like Doubting Thomas. Yeah, I'm not Doubting Thomas. I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> like, please show up, God. This is actually really painful and I feel alone. And um, yeah, so. Thanks. So my favorite song Maybe one of my favorite songs of all time, but especially mm. for this stage, is one I grew up with singing in high school, Bridge mm. Over Troubled Water with Simon mm. and Garfunkel. I love the words of that, and I won't sing it, but just a few uh, to name them. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I'll dry them all. I'm on your side. When times get rough and friends just can't be found, yeah. like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. I just tear up when mm -hmm. I read it. When you're down and out, when you're on the street, when everything falls so hard, I will comfort you. I'll take your part when darkness comes and pain is all around. Like a bridge over troubled waters, I will lay me down. And then your time has come to shine, but that's that's a little bit farther <laughs> along. But just having people with me that were willing to be bridges made me understand the importance of also learning how to be a bridge myself. And I, I just find that image to be amazing and really wonderful. Yeah. yeah. You know, like all of the stages, we can get stuck in these stages I was like I'm like not like I ever did that um or do that but this space where sometimes it shows up as we're always questioning and I think that sometimes that can be a, a way of like guarding ourselves against some of the pain where it's like well if I just always question and I make sure I won't have to hurt again the way I'm hurting right now um, we can also get consumed by self-assessment and we're just 
like constantly picking apart things or questioning um, or even refusing parts of our own story where we can even get mocking of them where you're like, ugh, well, you know, back when I wasn't enlightened and didn't understand sort of things. And there can be a harshness even towards our own self because I think we actually feel some shame about it. Um, you can also become immobilized where even like, how do I move? I can't handle losing. I, d- I don't know if I can trust. I don't, I, I just don't know. I don't know. Um, and in that you can even just end up almost like you're chasing your own tail and you're just exhausted because maybe it's because you need to find all the answers or because it's w- whatever it might be, but it can just become an exhausting place. Mm. And we can feel ourselves stuck there. Um, You know, so as God continues to invite us into deeper healing, um, one of the ways I think that this shows up is when we begin to let go of spiritual ego and self-centeredness and kind of that self-protection that happens or the self-righteous anger or the whatever that might be there, beginning to like, it's almost like a, a renewed trust, like, is this God good and trustworthy? Can I actually like let go of the clutch of self-preservation that's operative and um, move more deeply into accepting God's movement and purpose and presence in our lives? And I loved how you said in the midst of the pain or in the midst of the questions that God is with us in that. Uh, I think one of the things you often say to me is all will be well, <laughs> like all is well. And I'm really good at intellectually. This is like, but like, can we know that in our bodies and our own spirits and actually kind of re-release and trust ourselves to be held by God and God's love? And so this can also be, this movement then can be cultivated by seeking heal, wholeness, excuse me, through personal healing or pilgrimage or just that renewed journey uh, inward and more deeply, I think, into God's love. And also this last piece of kind of being willing to commit whatever it takes because it's not easy. Like I love the inside of Christianity, how we have this narrative of death and resurrection, but like to get to resurrection actually involves the dark night. It involves the Holy Saturday. It knows death. And, and so we have to be able to commit to staying in that even as it feels like certain death or we don't know if there's life possible um, in order to actually continue to the journey inward um, in that. So I want to take just a moment to um, thank Stephanie Williams O'Brien, who is producing this podcast. She has written a book that embraces people, especially young people, who are wondering and wandering and questioning their faith and doubting and Um, And she welcomes people to be at this stage and to see that as a place on the journey. And her book is called Stay Curious. So I invite you to read it if this stage is at all um, familiar to you and you want to feel like you're embraced and understood. So thank you, Stephanie. (laughs) Yeah, so the challenge of movement here is finding peace through giving up the search for self allowing for new certainty in God and being open to the cost of obedience or of transformation itself. Question to sit with at this point in the journey, 
is has your life and faith fallen apart? When? And why? We could take all day to talk about that one. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. the next stage or the part of stage four, at the end of stage four, is this part called the wall. And that's where our will faces into God's will. It's a deeply holy place on the faith journey, and it is always individual. It is mysterious. It is God-shaped. It's infused with spirit, and it invites us definitely to transformations. It is, in my experience, one of the most difficult parts of the journey, and it asks more surrender of us than we may think we're capable of, at least for me. Mm -hmm. It's equally alluring and treacherous. And yet the wall is ultimately a place of healing of ourselves and definitely of our image of God. And we need to have enormous compassion for people, ourselves and other people who are experiencing the wall. And in the podcast, The Dialogue with the Wall, uh, Danielle Jones and I go into a lot more detail of this experience with, with stories, poems, biblical examples, and questions. And we approach it in three ways, um, how to approach the wall, how to embrace the wall, and how to release the wall. So we won't go into any detail on that here, thank goodness, right? <laughs> but for the sake of this podcast, we'll just say the main char characteristics of the wall. So knowing it's time to face the truth of our lives, especially those repeated patterns, letting God's will be our will, then uncovering our deepest secrets, fears, and wounds, and bringing those to the light, to the surface. Mm -hmm. And then reconsidering what unconditional love really, really is like, even in the midst of all the pain and the woundedness. Mm -hmm. And then letting ourselves feel like we really are in the muck, and it's okay to be mm -hmm. in the muck. So those are the main characteristics of that stage. And Sarah's probably got a pop song about the wall. Da-da-da, <laughs> <laughs> shocking story, I do. Um, <laughs> Uh, actually, for this, the song that came to mind for me it was, is tied to also an experience. Um, and uh, last November, I was seven weeks pregnant and um, had started bleeding and went to the doctor. And at that point, we actually, I wasn't miscarrying. Uh, I did end up miscarrying three weeks later. But I got in the car and on came a song from the latest Mumford & Sons album. It's called The Wild. And I think for me, this song so captures the wall. Um, and it, go, it goes like this. It says, we saw birth and death. Can't we be still? What makes you kind? From where comes your sparkling mind? Was it under the earth? Tied up in a knot, which I forgot you were ever there and then this it goes do not be afraid do not be afraid what's that I see I think it's the wild it puts the fear of God in me and that song I just think that space of coming into this place where you encounter the wall and the pain the complexity the beauty um and that's the wild. So that's the song that I think of for this. Powerful song. And then getting stuck at the wall. <clears throat> How can we get stuck at the wall? We want to get out of it so clear. But the way to be stuck is the actually the fear of being transformed. Mm -hmm. 
because of what it's going to ask of us. And I, I really think we can identify with that when you look transformation in the face and say, well, I'm not sure I can handle that. And who of us is not afraid of that? So it's a reminder to be gentle and kind with ourselves and others who choose not to go through the wall. Yeah. Yes. I was in a group once talking about these stages, and one woman said to me, why would anyone want to be at stage four in the wall? And I said, no one would. Right. Right. So it has to be something else that propels us into the wall. Absolutely. Yeah. So stage five, then, is the journey outward where faith is surrendering to God. And honestly, you know, this stage is not really well illustrated in many traditions or at least five people that we can relate to. You know, I think of sometimes it's like these saints who like, I'm like, listen, you don't have a real life. <laughs> you know, like, like, um, And it can feel so far removed in that way. And whereas yet the journey here really becomes more Uh, about like what you and God design for you related to your own story and what the world needs for you. So some, you know, some aspects of this is really where there's now this like renewed sense of God's acceptance. And, you know, with this, I almost think of this as like faith on the other side. It's like the faith on the other side of the wall, like, is it there? And it's so that's where this renewed sense of God's acceptance, a new sense of the kind of horizontal life reaching out from a place of wholeness. It's like a new way of being and you're living into it and figuring out this new space where the sense of calling, vocation, or ministry is renewed and might also look different than it's looked for you before, even as it's, you know, we're still the same people. We're just continually healing and um, changing. And there can be a concern here or focus on others' best interests and a movement into of that deep calm or stillness that comes often with having known the terror of the night and finding oneself awake the next morning and still held and beloved. You know, uh, an example of this that I think fits here is the story of the woman at the well. And the reason why I say that is, I mean, manifold, uh, one of them is because of here's this woman Um, having this conversation with a person who should actually or would have been in the history of their people dangerous to one another. And yet she's here having this conversation with him. And you don't get to that space of being able to do that without something going on in your life. But the reason why for me, really, I thought of this is because where Jesus is talking with her, right? And says, okay, like, where do your people worship? And and she's like, well, our people worship on this mountain. Your people say you have to be on this mountain. And then Jesus says, there will come a time, and indeed it's now, where the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And when I read that and think about that and feel that, it's like a, it's spirit and in truth. This is that space of that renewed sense of like, hey, we were told it had to be there. We were told it had to be there. That's how you had belonging. That's how you had all these things. That's where you were productive. That's where the And then you were in the desert and like things were really bad. And spirit and truth, folks, take a breath. I am. I am here. And my love is here. And so I think of that. And, you know, a song that comes to mind for me with this is a song from – I don't think it was actually in the film Greatest Showman, but it was after The Greatest Showman had come out. And it's a a pink, the musical artist did it. It's called A Million Dreams. And 
it's it starts off it says like I close my eyes and I can see a world that's waiting up for me that I call my own through the dark through the door no no though where no one's been before but it feels like home and then it's they can say they can say it all sounds crazy they can say they can say I've lost my mind I don't care I don't care if they call me crazy we can live in a world that we design and so just a sense of this renewed space of like vision and dream and life and what never felt possible before suddenly is in a new way so that's oh my got you to actually sing. I did sing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I love pink, so that's a good one. Uh, you know, um, in this stage, just as in any other stage, we can get stuck. Um, one of the ways I think this can show up is sometimes we're seemingly out of touch with practical concerns, or almost like you can come across as being um, dismissive of other people's experiences or the real of their own life, like... I've reached enlightenment, you know, just breathe and be Zen with me. And everyone else is like, what are you even talking about? Like, please really come on. And so that can be, um, that can happen sometimes or where one appears careless about important things. You know, like, I think this is something I feel attention about where I want to pay careful mind to my own inner life and inner work as a pastor and we have like programs to run and things to do. And so like, I don't just get to go to therapy and spiritual direction all the time. You know, I, I have to also show up and lead in my community. And so um, when I'm noticing I'm getting stuck, it's when I don't want to do those things either. I'm like, ah, you know, and it's um, an invitation, you know, to make sure that we're also connected with. Now, at this point with stage five into stage six, you really can't move. Like, this is absolutely, I think, absolutely a God thing of how, you know, change, uh, change continues to happen in our life. Because it's not about striving or just evolving. Just it's this continued deepening in of seeing God in all of life, in the midst of pain, in the midst of beauty, and this is uh, Janet and I both love carousels. And so it's the all is well carousel and that trusting that the center holds and we just ride and along with the music and the rhythms of the dance God is weaving in the world and that we're a part of. And that sense of being God's person and you just deepen and deepen into that. And that's like a lifelong work. And, um, you know, the challenge of movement here. And that kind of inner life is where vocation is satisfying. And we can just feel like, yeah, that's good. And being whole seems like enough. Like, thanks, I'm good. <laughs> like, I already got there, right? Like, I've arrived um, can sometimes come up a little bit. Um, and so a key question, I think, at this stage is, do you have a glimpse of that dream or God's purpose for your life? And now we're going to talk about stage six. Not very much, <laughs> because it's faith is reflecting God, the life of love. And the thing that's so interesting about this stage is you can do nothing to achieve this stage. And so if you strive for stage six, it's probably not going to happen. You evolve naturally with more intimacy with God, and it's an extension more of stage five. But it and it's not easily described in words because, as you said, at stage five, it's you and God 
um, designing what it is you're called to do in the world and how you do that. And so it's it's not like you do this certain thing and then you're at stage six. So it's it's harder to relate to. And I say to people, just don't worry about it, you know, because it, it doesn't really matter. People that are at that stage have no interest in being identified. Mm-hmm. So if you really have a strong interest, interest in being identified at stage six, you're probably not going mm-hmm. to get there as easily because it's about releasing, surrendering mm-hmm. to needing the, those things. And I'm not dissing people, but, you know, you, it's just a way to be in the world, actually. And um, I talk a little bit more on the um, wall dialogue podcast about what intimacy with God looks like. So we've given given kind of some ideas of what what the range of things might be. But I learned a really important thing from Bob when we were writing about this stage. And a lot of people were, uh, were using the phrase Christ-like living. And what they meant by that was doing things that Jesus would do. And that's wonderful. But Bob said, this stage is not about doing what Jesus would do. It's about being in relationship mm-hmm. with God that Jesus was in, where Jesus said, anything you want, I will do. Not my will, but yours be done. And so it's a total surrender of not, mm-hmm. I want to do this because Jesus did that. So it's it's a really different concept of what um, Christ-like living is is about. It's more like hearing with God's ears and seeing with God's eyes and feeling with God's heart in the world. And I remember my spiritual director said to me once that in the journey of faith, you can ask yourself this que- this phrase, say this phrase and see where you get stuck. Bring me closer to you. You're saying this to God. No, being close, bring me closer to you no matter what the consequences. Mm. So I love the first half of that and the second half of that always gets stuck in my throat. Uh, the song that comes to mind for me representing this stage is so simple it's one word repeated over and over like you know you said your word of work this is alleluia Mm -hmm. and there are the the songs that just repeat that word and the longer you sing it the deeper it goes Mm -hmm. and you sing it from a different level of depth in your being the longer you sing it so if any of you are really curious about this stage and you want to read more about it in detail, of course, the Critical Journey is available for you to be able to read through or work out in more detail. But if you also feel a desire to work through all of the stages in a, in a deeper way, in a healing way, with a series of weekend retreats over a longer period of time, like over a year's period of time, I have a wonderful friend who named Deb Turnow who works at a place uh, called Kavana House in Pennsylvania. And so she has a series of workshops that she does in depth with people. And it is a transforming experience because you go through all the stages with art and mm. music and conversation and a lot of um, quiet time. So her email is D as in Deb, so D Turnow, T-U-R-N-O-W, at gmail.com. And you can contact her directly if you want to have that experience. You know, it could change your life. So that's all we have to say about the stages um, in the life of faith. And I'd like to thank you, Sarah, for this wonderful experience and ask if you have any last words you'd like to say before I close. I think um, what I would say is just, again, that affirmation that no matter where you are, like, A, that's okay and good, and that you're not alone, And where we started by saying, 
remember that God's love holds all of us Mm -hmm. in all of these places. And uh, I just hope that this is an encouragement to you the way it was to me to have that reflection of saying, like, you're not alone, you're not crazy, Mm -hmm. and that God is actually at work in you, even in this very moment in this breath. That is wonderful. I, I totally agree. And I, I'd like to underline that God's love is always available, even when we feel it the least. Mm-hmm. It's, it's there. Uh, I'd just like to add that I am so grateful to the many people who have reached out to me over the years through <clears throat> social media or in writing or um, directly to say how this model has influenced their lives. That made it so worth it to me the whole effort of putting it together and then that subsequent loss of Bob, just hearing how much this has mattered, especially the stage four in the wall to people, it's been liberating for their faith. And that um, I'm just really grateful and I wanted to thank people for that. And also, if you've gotten this far on the podcast, thank you for listening to all of this. And thanks to Stephanie for introducing me to the whole world of podcasting and also producing them. I appreciate that. And I, too, hope that we have whet your appetite for the inner life and inspired you to be exactly where you are, wherever you are, and to appreciate where you are, knowing that God is there. And then when and if you feel pressed or pulled or desire to go any further, we invite you to lean into those things, even if they seem daunting or challenging. But know that you can be assured, again, that God is right there waiting for you wherever you are and wherever you begin. So thanks for listening. Thank you. The Critical Journey podcast is produced by Stephanie O'Brien and Lead Stories Media. For more engaging content, go to leadstoriesmedia.com.